Hi, and welcome to the AAF1 podcast. In this episode, we'll be taking you through a review of the Belgian Grand Prix, or lack thereof. Um, we'll also be taking you through a mid-season review um, of the of the season so far. Uh, this will include stories coming out of the season so far, driver ratings for some of the key drivers on the grid, and also answering your questions that you kindly submitted in advance of this episode. Firstly, let us introduce ourselves. I'm Kay. Uh, I'm a relative newbie to the sport, but I'm very, very interested in the season as it's unfolding. Um, And I look forward to discussing the season with you in the coming episodes. Hey, and uh, I'm I'm S, so I've been primarily drafting many of the posts that you guys have been kindly engaging with. Um, I've been watching Formula One my whole life, and I thought I'd start along with Kay this page almost as a somewhat of a passion project. Um, largely, I think, driven in response by to like a lot of what I kind of see as like sort of toxic, uninformed Formula One debate. Um, I, and I don't really want to start throwing like accusations and things around, but I just I think that there was a lot of um, pretty naive discussion, and I thought there was a space for some rounded debates and, and rounded common sense news. Um, so, so we sort of started the page and after a couple of months, for some reason, God knows why you guys decided to push us for, for the podcast and we, we uh, are obliging and hopefully you enjoy it. So we'll get straight into it. Absolutely. So the Belgian Grand Prix yesterday, what the heck was going on there? So they started, they threatened to start and absolutely was seemed from a, from at least from my perspective to be a bit of a shambles. What, what do you, what do you think occurred yesterday? Yeah, it's, I think the FIA were in a tricky position, right? Because ultimately that, that circuit at that point um, was pretty much undrivable for everyone other than Max Verstappen, who was at the front. So he didn't really have any spray. Whereas if you were following the onboard footage, which no doubt everybody was, because that's pretty much all there was to watch of um, the cars following up through Eau Rouge above the Radion, then you could very clearly see that, you know, you, you could just about see the car in front at times. And for the majority of it, you couldn't. So, you know, coming in towards the end of the Camel Straight, you could you could see the car in front of you because you've slowed down, but it was it was simply wasn't drivable. I think where they probably got things a bit muddled up was you know, the start procedure and where they could have been more clear about things. I think the race started, although it kind of didn't start under the safety car. So they did a safety car formation lap, took everyone right into the pits under red flag conditions. And then we sat there for three hours. And I think there was three or four consecutive updates where the only update was we will update you in five minutes. So that wasn't really helpful. And then I think at 6.17 local time, maybe 5.17 uh, UK time, there, there was the announcement like, yeah, look, we're going to go racing. But by that point, the only reason why we were going racing was just so that they could get a race classification. The way that it works is that if you have done two full laps of a race distance, then you can classify a final race order. 
if you've not completed 75% of the race distance, you can't allocate full points, but you can allocate half points. And I, I suspect the reason why the FIA did this was because we're going into a triple header of races, of which Spa was the first. And to run the race back today, Monday, would, would simply not be feasible. And I think they were thinking, like, well, look, let's just get two laps in behind the safety car. We can call it a day. Um, and I think, personally, I really agree with Lewis Hamilton that it was a bit of a farce. You know, I think the communication was lacking. And, you know, something that was very much highlighted was that the team principals kind of didn't know what was going on. You know, what is the start procedure? Can Red Bull fix Sergio Perez's car? Can they not? Despite, I think, some uh, Andrew Wheatley uh, at Red Bull saying to, you know, Michael Massey, like, look, we're, we're going to have to retire him. And then coming back online, like, ah, actually, can we pull him back in? Can we can we do that? And there was a bit of confusion there. So it, it was quite farcical. Uh, definitely not ideal for the sport. And I think it's one of those afternoons where you know, I can't remember the last time something like that happened. I, I don't think I was born for it. Somebody said Adelaide 1987. I'll have to look into that. But yeah, it, it just, the whole afternoon was very confusing. And, and then it finished with these two laps behind the safety car. And, you know, the, the starting order pretty much being the finishing order, albeit Sergio Perez didn't score any points. And yeah, it was it was a weird afternoon. I think the sooner we forget about it, the better. Because how often are we going to have conditions like that, like that bad? I don't really think it's worth like going into granular detail about it. But there's certainly questions to be asked, and I think at the least it would be good to see fans get refunded on their tickets. Indeed, clear lessons to be learned coming out of that. But as you say, fairly unique and biblical circumstances um and yeah we we hope that some some form of recompense is given to the, to those fans who missed out on a day's racing um yeah so i think that yeah that was a good kind of priming for 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 our mid-season review um it's been a, it's been a fairly spectacular season so far and i think you would agree with that um some of the key stories coming out so far. Why don't you speak about the Red Bull team, how they've approached the season, um, some of the interesting stories coming out of that and some of the potential uh, scandal coming out of, um, you know, how they've been uh, uh, approaching the season. Yeah, I think Red Bull have, have obviously had the package of the season so far. Um, I think coming off the back of years of Mercedes dominance, they managed to finally... Which I think every year the FIA is pegged back Mercedes each year, which probably is the right thing for the sport. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time it's happened. I think this year was particularly detrimental because of the rake situation, which essentially going into 2021, there was a change of the aero rules, which meant that the floors of the cars were different. And the net effect was that cars that tended to sit quite low to the to the racetrack were more severely detrimented as opposed to those that had a high rake so essentially you know your, your rear of the car is pointing up is it's sort of higher than the front of the car and it sort of points downwards into the track and i think in bahrain mercedes were losing about a second a lap or more which is why in testing they were nowhere to be found whereas red bull were, were miles ahead and i think what they did is probably invested an awful lot of money into this year's season to see if they can sort of nab a championship going into 2022 when we have the the big um, changes in, in sort of car regulations for, for Formula One. I think Red Bull started really well 
Um, obviously, Mercedes, I think, took the first couple of results. And then you, you had races like like Austria, where Max Verstappen just walked away with it. And in France, where you can put that down to Mercedes' poor strategy. But I think Red Bull really turned up on the day and they, they just had a package which was faster. Um, and I think, you know, going into the break, the only reason why Max was behind is because of, you know, points lost in, in Baku. And then again, at Silverstone, and, and you know he's had some bad luck. I think what's weird about Red Bull is that, and I think Nico Rosberg touched on it, is that Mercedes have managed to make them look into the bad guys, and I think that Red Bull have done that a lot of their own doing, really. Um, you know, a sustained campaign of shithousery is what we called it on the page against Lewis Hamilton certainly didn't help um, in, in the wake of the Silverstone Grand Prix, and I think there, there's an element of at least from my perspective, this championship being quite artificial because, one, we don't know how, how much any of the teams are really focusing in on it. We've got teams like Haz who have just said, yeah, we're, we're binning this entire season. We're going to focus on 2022. And Mercedes, who have been towing a bit of a balance because they obviously front-loaded a lot of their investment into 2022, which makes sense because things like engines are going to be locked in for three or four years following that. Um but I think they, they didn't expect the delta between them and Red Bull to be so severe. So they've had to bring some upgrades into 2021. And the 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 thing that's interesting about the season in, in that sort of artificial element is that you don't really get a feeling that we're, we're fighting with, with true pace. Uh, Mercedes are fighting with one arm behind their back. Red Bull are, have got the stronger package. But how much of that is because they've actually developed their car a lot more? How much of that is just because Mercedes had one second a lap taken off of them, which is a huge amount of time to try and make up for. Um, and then that's before you get into the sort of off-track antics. And the off-track antics have left a really sour taste in people's mouths, particularly after Silverstone. With Whether you agree with Hamilton's penalty or not, I, I think it was a racing incident. Um, I still do. I think that you know, we can get onto this topic a bit later, but you know, sometimes on racing tracks, drivers race each other, and when they race each other, you have racing incidents. Um, and I think Red Bull's prolonged PR campaign in the wake of that, Christian Horner saying, you know, Hamilton should be proud of himself, Verstappen could have been killed, Helmut Marco hilariously saying that Hamilton ended Albon's career as though Helmut Marco isn't the guy who sacked Albon. Um, it it led to an awful lot of distasteful things happening and I, and I think I genuinely feel like their fanning off the flames probably contributed to the racist abuse that Hamilton suffered and the booing that he gets at every track and I think in, in that following two weeks you know you you saw Red Bull's um, protest to the FIA where they got Albon uh, where they used up one of their allocated press days by the way for the year to, to sort of get Albon to run different lines in Silverstone and a complete flagrant violation of the race review rules uh, to sort of review an incident and it just showed how desperate they were getting and I think Nico Rosberg touched on it before as we said but Mercedes have managed to make Red Bull look into the bat look like the bad guys but they've not had to work hard because Red Bull have genuinely come across as villains in many ways um, so that's been quite interesting um, but they, they've definitely got the strongest package right now I think Mercedes turned up with quite a strong package in Hungary where they sort of nabbed pole and of course Hamilton got pole and Silverstone as well they were, Mercedes were running a, a, a much smaller rear wing in Spa, uh, at Spa, sorry, this weekend. And really, we didn't get to see the full benefits of that because Quali was, was, you know, 
pegged down with rain and I think that meant that you probably needed more downforce which the Merc was obviously going to be lacking with the smaller rear wing and then the race wasn't really a race as we touched on it so um, yeah I think Red Bull have definitely had the package so far but their, I think their campaign of shithousery has kind of left a sour taste in people's mouths and also there's there's the element of the asterisk if if and when I, I, I expect them to pick up the constructors probably but um, yeah, there's an asterisk if they win a championship this year. Indeed. Um, so that neatly leads us on to uh, some of our our drivers of the of the season and what you think about how they've performed and what they should be looking to do in the second half of the season. Um, so working down from the top of the current standings in terms of the drivers' championship, how do you think? Lewis has been doing the season. I know he's had a few mishaps, a few uncharacteristic um, driver errors, um, but he's still, you know, marginally at the beginning, uh, marginally at the top of the standings. What do you think he he should be looking to do for the second half of the season? I think Lewis is officially the most complete driver Formula One's ever seen. And if he makes a couple of mistakes, they're highlighted because of how flawless he's been for a while. I think when you've not got too many people to compete with at the front, yeah, it can, you can make things look easy. But also, I think that when you've got the fastest car, you still have to deliver every race. And I think Fernando Alonso highlighted how I, I don't really think Hamilton's given credit for what he's achieved. Obviously, he had errors at Imola. Um, I think overtaking lapped cars and he he managed to keep the car up the barriers and then very fortunately benefited from a safety car, which I think was induced by uh, George Russell and Valtteri Bottas coming together a lap or so later. And then we had the restart at Baku as well, which um, where he sort of flicks the magic lever to um, which obviously locked up his brakes or, or the other way around, but either way, you know, he should have really been taking Sergio Perez into that first corner. So he's made a couple of mistakes, but I think the story of Hamilton's season so far has been that he's really outperforming that Mercedes. The first race in Bahrain, obviously Max overtook him illegally, but the fact that Hamilton got that result of, out of that car is pretty impressive. Um, and then even at Silverstone, I think that, you know, he was in the simulator the morning of qualifying. And I think that shows that he's really trying to get as much performance out of that car as he can. And I think to even get the result that he did in Hungary a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago now, at a track where really overtaking doesn't happen that much, unless it's on the main straight. And to sort of pull off some of the moves that he did, I think Yuki Sonoda into turn four was pretty outrageous. And that was premeditated. You know, he tried it up the inside to let Sonoda know, okay, I might go there. And then the following lap, he just threw a move out the outside of turn four. And I think that was pretty impressive. So Hamilton, I think, has been good. I think there's been a couple of mistakes, which if you were to sort of rate out of turn, would knock him down a mark. But what I think is definitely not up for debate is that he's really outperforming that car. And that Mercedes was a dog to drive. Uh, at the beginning of the year. I think it's they've found their window a bit more and they've understood the tires the tires a bit more. Um, which I think they there's sort of new compounds in somewhat since Baku when there were tire blowouts. So Mercedes are a bit more on top of that now. But I think he's been good so far. Um I think the next driver down would be Verstappen, who again I think has been flawless this season. I don't think I don't think Verstappen's put a single foot wrong and he should be miles away in the lead. 
um, except for uh, you know a couple of DNFs. I think if you if you were to be super critical, I think at Silverstone Verstappen was a bit too eager in how he defended against Hamilton. Hamilton, and I think Hamilton was sending a message to him like, okay, look, you've you've thrown one up the inside on, on, on at Imola, and then again again at Spain, and I let you get away with it, but I'm not going to let you get away with it this time. And I think Verstappen is quite used to getting his own way, and he didn't that time, and he he came off worse for wear, almost very worse for wear, right? 51G impact at Silverstone. I think if you're being super critical, uh, which I think is a bit harsh, he should have left more room for Hamilton. Not because Hamilton necessarily deserved that place, but Verstappen had the faster car, and all he had to do was sit behind Hamilton until the next straight, and, and he'd have him, but he didn't. So I think... Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty much all that's got to be said on Verstappen. I think he's he's maturing into an an incre- like an incredible driver. He will go down as one of the greats, um, unless George Russell or Lando Norris have something to say about it. I think uh, his character. I, I think what's interesting about Verstappen is that Verstappen is to today's young fans what Hamilton was to young fans at towards the end of the two thousand and eight seven sort of when Hamilton joined. People were fed up of Schumacher and Alonso and the rest, and they wanted a new young driver. And I think Verstappen's fans have found their own. Um, he's obviously incredibly talented. I think he gets away with being a bit of a dick sometimes. And it would be interesting to see with whether Hamilton would have been allowed to get away with some of the stuff that he's with that sort of Verstappen says if Hamilton had been in this position. But um, yeah, Verstappen's been great. Indeed. Um, let's Let's talk about Lando for a bit because he's obviously stepped up in a big way in the in the early part of the season. Um, I think there was chat early on in the season about him really focusing on his driving, stripping away some of the other stuff, and it started to show in the results. Um, you know, getting several podiums. What do you think he how how he's done this season so far, and what he'll be looking to accomplish in the in the later later stages of this season? Yeah, so so this weekend, Belgian Grand Prix marked, I think, 50 race starts for both Norris and Russell. And Norris coming into the sport was a great rookie. Uh, and I think he's just continued to mature. Um, he's definitely fat, uh, enjoying that McLaren a lot more than Daniel Ricciardo is. And I think up until his crash in qualifying, he was very much the man to beat. He's, he's really quick over one lap. And I think shown by his duel with Hamilton in Austria, you know, his, his race craft has really come along as well. It's easy to forget just how young Norris is. It feels like F1 drivers are getting younger and younger each year. But I think he's he's really growing into quite an amazing driver. And if you look at his his arc and his progression, he's not had the spells that, you know, necessarily Verstappen had. You know, Verstappen had six crashes or incidents in as many races in 2018. Norris hasn't had any of that. And... He is really a, a top performer, consistent performer for McLaren. If you compare that to Daniel Ricciardo this weekend, who got his fourth place position in quali, which was his best result so far, there was almost like an element of celebration. When we're halfway through a season, Ricciardo is very much a vet in the sport. He should have sort of warmed to that car. Whereas Norris, okay, fine, he's been at McLaren since the beginning of his career, but he's he's been performing really well. And there is an outside bet that, you know, if McLaren doesn't improve, I know Norris has signed into a long-term contract recently, but let's say, for argument's sake, that Ferrari are all of a sudden the team to beat. 
why wouldn't you go for Orlando Norris if Carlos Sainz and Leclerc are not bringing you the results that they they might otherwise? I think Leclerc always will. Carlos Sainz um, is underrated, but I think Norris is probably better and has has greater potential. But yeah, Norris has been outstanding this season. Yeah, and we're in a very unique time where we have several premier British drivers, which is great, great for British motorsport. Um, and we'll come on to Russell a bit later. Um, we can probably touch on Bottas, um, although I think there are some probably some more interesting stories further down the standings. What do you think Bottas should be thinking about um, coming into the second half of the season? Bottas is in a weird place because I think it's no secret that um, Hamilton would prefer to have him as a teammate going into 2022. What that says about Bottas's quality will leave to everyone else to decide. I think, however, if he doesn't have a Mercedes seat locked in, where does he go next? His only real realistic option is Alfa Romeo, if Kimi isn't uh, signed on again. Um, has Bottas earned that Mercedes seat? It's really dubious. Like, I, I, It's like really difficult to tell because earlier on in the season, I think it was Spain when Hamilton sort of pitted early and he came back and attacked Verstappen and overtook him with a couple of laps to go. Bottas did not make it easy for Hamilton to get past, whereas more recently he's become an awful lot more compliant, and you saw that in Silverstone particularly, at Silverstone particularly. So he's, he's trying to play that team role. Um, individually, he's not been at the races. I think this is his weakest season so far. Maybe you can put a lot of that down to just the fact that he, he's got a lot of uncertainty over his career right now. But, you know, is, is he a is he the strongest number two driver for Mercedes? No. I, I, it'll be interesting to know where his head is at. Um, obviously, there were certain changes in his personal life last year, sort of separation from his wife and the rest. And I think that perhaps that's been good for him or, or otherwise. I, I, whatever is clear, though, is that he has not performed that strongly. And I think he'll have had a long, hard look at himself over the summer break and trying to figure out, okay, well, what can I do to try and shore up this 2022 position? It's tricky because I don't think he can challenge Hamilton. And that's not because Bottas isn't a good driver. That's because Hamilton's outrageously good. Hamilton's the best ever. And that makes it very difficult to sort of challenge and make yourself look as good. Um, and then particularly when you couple that with the Mercedes car, which as you say, it's been a dog to drive, particularly in the beginning parts of the season. It really shows you up in the worst ways often. Mm. So, Carlos Perez. Um, Sergio Perez. Sergio, sorry, sorry. Thinking of science, are you? Yeah, yeah. I think of Carlos science. Yeah, sorry. I'm showing my greenness. Um, what do you think about him? So, obviously, he's the second car on the Red Bull ticket um, and is a, this big, big shadow that he's currently having to to fill. So do you think he he has any major ambitions for this season? Um it seems like there's a bit of a dogfight at the top end of the at the top end of the standings, but you know, he could he could put in the claim for for, for third position towards the end of the season. Um, what do you think he's thinking about? I think Perez has been a decent backup driver for Red Bull. Um definitely stronger than Albon was. And Gasly, who simply wasn't ready for that seat earlier on. Um, we know what Perez is capable of. We saw him win in Bahrain last year. Um, and we've seen him win at Azerbaijan this year. 
I think there's been a couple of errors and a couple, you know, I'm thinking of the spin at Silverstone and a few other things where you sort of doubt whether he's the right backup driver for Red Bull long term. But I think he can very easily sneak into that third or, or you know, third position if he has a really strong end to the season. Uh, and I think he can take Bottas in any event um, if he finishes strongly. I'm just looking at his race results so far. 11th at Imola, not ideal. But then you got fourth, 5th in Bahrain, 4th in Portugal, Spain 5th, Monaco 4th, Azerbaijan, he won, of course, France, podium, Styrian Grand Prix 4th, Austria 6th, and, and then Great Britain was 16th at Silverstone. Um, and Hungary, of course, he got um, torpedoed by Bottas. So he's not had a bad year, Perez. He's, he's sitting where he should be in the standings. And that Red Bull car is known for being quite twitchy and being a car where if you're if you're really in the mood in the mood and you're an instinctive driver, it'll suit you. And I think that that suits Verstappen. Whereas obviously the the car that Perez was leaving was the Racing Point, which was basically a carbon copy of the of the 2019 Mercedes uh, car, and and that sits quite low. It's quite predictable uh, as a ride. So he, I think he's done a decent job so far. Do Red Bull bring Gasly up to to the second seat? Do they leave him where he is? Do they keep Perez there? I think that's that's quite a big decision to make. Personally, I prefer Perez stayed and Gasly actually went to a new team. Um, I think that Gasly will thrive in an environment which isn't so anchored towards Verstappen. And I think that Red Bull have a bit of an issue historically with favorite with sort of favoritism and sort of certain drivers, and rightly so if they've got a really strong driver. But you think back to that multi-21 in 2013 uh, with Seb and, and Weber when Seb sort of overtook Weber when he shouldn't have. And it's very clear that now the team is uh, anchored on Verstappen. And I think as it should be, he's your best bet of winning a world championship. But is that the environment you want to be going to as a driver? Not ideal, uh, particularly if, if, you're, if you're still a bit green. Gasly's got a few years under his belt now, but... And I think Perez can cope. Perez knows what his role is, but Gasly, I think, should be pushing on for more. And I think Perez, if he gets locked in again, he's he's had a decent season. I think they can keep him on. He's he's done a decent job so far. Yeah, it's very interesting because, as you say, it does seem as though Perez is happy to kind of sit in that in that second second seat role. But maybe Gasly will be keen to you know make his own claim um, in a different team. So let me let me sorry, go for it. No, I was just thinking back to it. Perez, you know, this is still his the best car he's been in. You know, he was in McLaren for a while, which obviously was just after Hamilton left, I think, and it wasn't it wasn't the best car. Uh, then I think he was at Force India for a number of years. If I'm not wrong, and then it was Racing Point for a, for a bit of time. And I think that Perez, you know, is this is still the best car he's been in. So I can imagine him being quite happy in that car and we know that he can pick up points we know that he's won a race already this season he's not an unknown quantity I think he's a safe bet I think he will be fairly happy with where he is right now of course racing drivers always want to win they're very competitive but I think he'll be being realistic right now like this is his first season in the team he's done a half decent job and also you're racing against Verstappen who is not an average driver totally agreed on that so now we come on to like the third tier of of drivers, um, and those are the two Ferraris, uh, Science and, and Leclerc. Um, both have an, had interesting seasons. I would say particularly Leclerc. So 
what is what is Ferrari thinking? What Leclerc has obviously turned in quite a few pole positions so far, um, so he's looking very exciting. What do you think they're thinking? I think Leclerc is one of the best drivers on the grid. Mm. Um, he consistently puts that Ferrari in places where it shouldn't be, and he very nearly picked up a race win in, um, in at Silverstone. And, and if you look at his race position results, Bahrain sixth. Um, I think Imola, he was fourth. Spain, he was fourth. Azerbaijan, fourth. You know, he's been doing relatively well in a car which is not that great. And, you know, that was shown in, I think, particularly in France when both of those Ferraris were really, really off the pace. And then somehow in hot weather conditions, they managed to get their tyres working in, in at Silverstone. So I think Leclerc has been great for Ferrari. I think he... Really, I mean, it's deserved is a tricky word, but if there's one driver who deserves to be in a good car and, and can back it up, it's him. You know, before they had their fuel injection drama in 2019, which they still never really publicized, he, he was outperforming Vettel, I think. Um, Leclerc is a great driver. As for Carlos Sainz, I'm just going to take a look at his results right now and see where he, see where he is. Um, well, yeah, I mean, what can you say about Carlos? Second place in Monaco, good result. He's consistently in the fifth, sixth. I mean, Hungary, of course, he got a podium, um, which I think was, was bumped up because Seb was disqualified, which isn't ideal. Um, I think Carlos has had a quiet year, but then so has Ferrari. As we discussed at the beginning, this is somewhat of an artificial season insofar as you don't really know what the true pace is of these cars because they've not actually fully invested into them and, and so drivers are driving with an arm behind their back going into 2022 it's a lottery again Carlos is obviously a great driver we've seen how he can perform very consistently and he's known for probably being the hardest working driver on the grid the, the question for me with Carlos becomes you know can he outperform Charles over, over the course of a year I don't know if he can I think, I think Charles is genuinely a very very quick driver and I think he's second only really to Verstappen, um, maybe George Russell. I think I think Carlos is going to struggle against Charles, but he's done a great job so far, given the fact that that Ferrari really isn't a great car to drive. If you look at his results before Belgium, sixth, fifth, sixth, and then third, he's putting that car in places which, you know, is is pretty representative of where Ferrari is right now, and he's not really underperforming. So he's done a decent job. I think it will be tricky to see him outperform Leclerc going forward, but he can hope, and, I, and no doubt he'll be working hard to do it. Indeed. So there are a few other drivers below them um, which are worth worth touching on. Um, perhaps not each 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 one, but I think there's, there's a fairly good story to be had with with Pierre Gasly, um, a very very talented driver. Another one who's probably pushing his car to limits that arguably shouldn't be at. Um, what do you think he he should be focused on, um, and where do you think he he's going to be going, like performing for the for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think if you take out the DNFs in Bahrain and Styria, uh, in Austria, Gasly's done okay. That Alpha Tauri is not as fast as we thought it would be uh, at testing when Yuki Sonoda was throwing it in and out of all sorts of corners at all sorts of speeds. I think 
Gasly picked up a podium in Baku, which shows that when he's in a position to score points, he will. And of course, we already know that because he won his his maiden victory um, at, at Monza last year. So Gasly is a is a proven quantity. He was not ready for Red Bull when he started, and he's proven that he's he's a really good driver. The issue for Gasly is that Red Bull hold the keys to his future, and let's say he was looking to leave to join Mercedes, Red Bull are not going to make that easy for him. Um, and also, where does he go? Ferrari have locked in their drivers. Red Bull, as we discussed, it might not be the best environment for him, and it certainly wasn't historically. And then you you have the other option, which is McLaren or, or Mercedes. Mercedes probably won't, because they've obviously got Valtteri Bottas, Russell, and I think Ocon still is managed by Toto Wolff. Although um, Ocon, like, okay, he won a race in Hungary, but who cares? Um, he's not been that great otherwise this season. I think Gasly is in a tricky place. His most realistic bet is probably Red Bull. I don't know if that's the best place for him. In fact, I doubt it. I think if he went to McLaren, he could probably perform quite strongly. But again, is he going to have the same issues that Ricardo is having? Maybe, maybe not. And then you've got to throw into the mix the 2022 regulations as well. Just where, where will that Alpha Tauri be? Have they decided to put all development into next year? And, and if so, will that be a front runner? Probably not. But I mean, it's, it's, it, you can always dream. I think Gasly's got a big couple of years ahead of him. And you, you really do hope he can push on. You, you don't really want him to be another Sergio Perez who has had a great career in Formula One, but it's never really challenging in a car at the front until this season, and, and now he's a backup driver, really, isn't he? Yeah, we we hope he can, um, you know, get some investment and you know push on. Um, so moving down, moving down the standings, you're you're a big big fan. I think you've you've written about this a couple of times of of Russell, um, in the in the Williams car, he. Obviously, is a much better driver than the standings can can represent, um, and he, you know, there are discussions about him and his future, um, just based on his talent level. What do you think he can do to put himself in the best position to have some some interesting conversations towards the end of the season um, with some other teams potentially, or indeed with his team? I think Russell will probably be moved up to Mercedes. Uh-huh. I think if he isn't moved up to Mercedes next year, then he will leave Williams. I know that their team principal said that he can see Russell staying, but Russell's too good to be at the back of the grid. Um, I think he was the F2 champion. Um, he was bloody quick for Mercedes last year before some reliability issues hit him. And, you know, he overtook Bottas in quite spectacular fashion last year. You know, he pushed Bottas. There, was, there were the radio messages last year where it's like, look, let me know if Bottas is losing, using a bit more curb, because then I will as well. But that, that showed how comfortable he was leading that race. Again, this year, he's demonstrated how quick he is getting into Q2s, Q3s in a car, which is really not that fast. And he, you know, has been very close to securing some results. I think... Uh, maybe it was, let me double check, I feel like it was in Austria um, that he finished just outside the points. Yep, 11th place, but he was pipped by Alonso right at the end. Um, and then, you know, in in 
at Silverstone as well, 12th place. So he was very close. Then you came to Hungary, where obviously all sorts of chaos ensued after um, Bottas decided to play bowling with everybody's cars. Um, and he finished in eighth. Uh, and, and of course, Latifi finished ahead of him, which is hilarious because Williams' first points in, in a couple of years, and it was Latifi who scored the most, who has been pretty underwhelming, albeit in a pretty underwhelming car. Um, but George was, you know, you could see he was very emotional in tears after the race. He knew how much it meant and, you know, how hard that team has been working. And then you go into this weekend's Belgian Grand Prix. And that's pure talent, what George did in the second sector, I think it was particularly, where he was the fastest. That's the the rain gets rid of car performance to a large extent. Um, obviously, there's some cars which, that would just not stay on the track, but the rain really shows who the best drivers are. And Russell adequately demonstrated that he is the best in that sort of young class or that that back of the pack um, outside of Verstappen, I think. I think for me, Russell is, um, he's, he's a mature driver. I know fans don't warm to him that much because maybe he doesn't have quite like the, the fun personality that Lando Norris has. You know, maybe Russell comes down as quite sanitized in the media. But I don't particularly mind that. You know, he doesn't need to be a Twitch streamer to to be a good driver. Uh, he just needs to be a good driver. And I think he, he very much is. I think he he really needs to kick on now. And, and Mercedes are in a tricky place. We, you know, we discussed it earlier. Do they do they keep Bossas on, good number two to Hamilton, or do they bring George in, who will not be a number two, or will have no intention of being a number two, and he can probably push Hamilton very far. Um, it will be interesting. I think I think I can see him in Mercedes next year. I'd like to see him at Mercedes next year. I think he's a driver who can really take the fight to Red Bull, uh, particularly, and I think he's a long-term bet to be a, to be a future world champion. He, he reminds me a lot of Jensen Button in his driving style. Very smooth entries into corner into corners. He he moves his steering wheel once, and then that's pretty much it. There's no real corrections during a corner, which is indicative of a smooth driving style. Um, yeah, I think Russell's made to go to the top if he isn't already there. And he showed that again this weekend. I'm a really big fan of his. I think a lot of people are. Um, and, and I think he'll go very far in the sport. Cracking. So looking into your crystal ball, um, we've, you know, we've, t- we've spoken about a few of the drivers to watch and indeed some of the drivers to, you know, may fade into obscurity later on in the season. Um, what are your main predictions for the season? i.e. in terms of who ends up going on to win, although I think anyone predicting that will, will struggle just based on what we've seen so far and how tight the top end of the of, of the grid is. Um, but also some of the other stories, where do you think, you know, Lando will end up? Where do you think um, Russell will end up? Um, just, just, just speak about your predictions for, for, for the remaining parts of the season. In terms of who will win the championship, I honestly couldn't place it. I think I, my head would say Max Verstappen. Um, I think he's he's got a stronger car, really, hasn't he? And I think Red Bull have put an awful lot of money into this year's season. And, as, and Mercedes have been pegged back twice because, one, they have to invest for next year. And two, they've specifically been hit by these regulation changes along with, along with Racing Point. So, well, Aston Martin now, I suppose. Um, so it's, yeah, I think Verstappen will probably take the championship, the Drivers' World Championship. Um, 
again, great for him. I think there's an asterisk next to it, personally. Um, and I think Mercedes will probably tie up the constructors because I just don't think Perez is fully at the races just yet. Um, Lando, I think, will take third. I think Bottas is having a real off year. And I don't think Perez will um, catch up to speed with, with Norris uh, across the rest of the year. Russell, I think, will continue to just put his car in places where it shouldn't be on a Saturday. But the Williams crew pace is shown on a Sunday. Um, I think, really, every Saturday is, a, is an audition for George. And if he gets out of Q1 and Q2, you know, everything's a bonus, especially with Q1. But I think um, he can't really do too much else. He can only capitalise on, on crazy situations as he did in Hungary and as he did uh, in Belgium. I think that's the best he can hope for. And he's doing everything that he can. I think ones to watch in a bad way will be Dan, Danny Rick. Um, yeah. Definitely underperformed this season. Not, not, not where he would want to be. Um, and I think the the sort of getting used to the car sort of uh, excuse or explanation um, is, gr- is growing thin. I think if, if you analogise it to football, you Manchester United were in a transitional phase after Ferguson left for however many years. And, you know, eventually you've kind of just got to put a, put a stop to that. And I think Danny Rick is, um, he's really got to start getting some more consistent performances out of the car. I think Kimi Raikkonen will be dropped by Alfa Romeo. Uh, or rather not signed again. And I think it's time for Kimi to leave the sport, if I'm honest. Um, there's loads of great drivers like Callum Lot that are waiting. And Kimi obviously is a great development driver, cool head, but he's not really going to offer anything in terms of new, fresh talent. And sad as it will be to see him go, probably not the worst thing. Um, others to watch, I think Fernando Alonso. I think he'll continue to put out some interesting results. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm not. St- I don't. I don't really care that Ocon won. I'm not really that impressed by him. He shut us up um, because we were quite critical. But I still am. I just. I just don't see what he brings to the table outside of you know he was in the right place at the right time, um, and on a track where it was very difficult to be overtaken, um, which was shown because Seb Vettel was so much faster in the Aston Martin all race long, um, for for, uh, for the team at Hungary. Yeah, I think we're in an interesting place. Um, if you can hear notification sounds, it's because my iPad is uh, is pinging off and I don't know how to turn that off. And also, we've not bought podcast mics yet. Um, <laughs> we, we'll do that. We'll do that. It's just we've got full-time jobs, um, so we, we need to get around to it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's pretty much it. The, the rest will kind of stay the same as it is. I don't think anybody will be bringing any big upgrades into the second half of the year because 2022 is quickly approaching. Um, yeah, it's it's been a weird season so far. Lots of interesting stuff has happened. I think I can see Verstappen and Hamilton colliding again. I think Verstappen will have to start to think more before he throws lunges up the inside. Um, but he's an incredibly adept driver, so he'll he'll figure a way out. Um, and I think we'll continue to see Hamilton getting results out of that car, which he shouldn't. I think I think Monza might be next. Well, San Sandfort is next in in Holland, so expect Hamilton to get booed. Um, and expect Verstappen to get cheered. That's an unknown quantity. That track we've not been there uh, for for a long time, if at all. Monza, if it's still on the track, if it's still on the schedule, which I think it is, I think we'll see Mercedes run a smaller rear wing there. They've got a, a bit more power out of that engine now, so I can see them being very competitive. But we just have to wait and see. 
yeah and and we we would love to hear your your thoughts on on our predictions um particularly the where where you think the constructors and the drivers championships will end up but also you know anything we've spoken about so far um we love hearing from you guys and we love engaging with you guys and we love you know disagreeing with you guys and agreeing with you guys so do send in your thoughts first question came in from graham uh, asking whether we think the rules will be changed after the Belgian Grand Prix, for example, with respect to points being awarded after two laps. Um, in short, yes, but I don't think there will be changes to necessarily the points allocation or classification. I think there will, however, be a lot of thinking done with respect to you know, just exactly how you can give the fans a spectacle because... Um, you know, I think just now Alfa Romeo has released a statement um, and they said that the situation would have been dealt with a lot more appropriately by not having us all the race we witnessed yesterday. This outcome hurts us all, but in particular it hurts fans of the sport who didn't get the show they came to see. So I think there will be changes in that respect. I think there's there's got to be an element of um, sympathy, though, that you, you could apply to the FIA because... How often does this happen? I know earlier in the podcast I mentioned Adelaide 1987. It might have been 1989 that was a wet race and it was sort of stopped for a bit. Um, yeah, I think got to be a bit kinder to the FIA. I think they did the best they could. Um, certainly there was a lot of confusion, but there will be thinking in any event. There can always be improvements made and we think there will be some changes. We had a question from K underscore STH01. Um, why didn't they, and we guess you mean the FIA postpone the race until tomorrow I think the reason was um, essentially that we're heading into a triple header as we mentioned in the main podcast so to, to to get everybody back in for a race on the Monday and then pack everything up and get everything over to Sanford in time it would be a really tight squeeze also I think it's important to remember that all of the race marshals are volunteers so um unless you've got a very chilled out boss explaining to them that you're not going to make it in on Monday because you're busy, you know, putting flags out for Max Verstappen, who's, you know, trying to overtake back markers, it might not go down so well. Um, I think that's probably the reason why, just logistics wise. Um, obviously, fans were somewhat robbed of the spectacle and Hamilton's highlighted that a lot. So is the Alfa Romeo racing team in that statement we just sort of posted in. So, um, yeah, I don't think um they could postpone, really, is the, is the tricky thing. So it was not ideal, and, and I think they were caught between a rock and a hard place. Next question came in from Daniel, who wanted us to speak about Williams on the rise. They are, uh, in short. You know, I think they've there's been two pretty extraordinary Grand Prix back-to-back, which is Hungary and um, Silverstone, and I think that that's probably helped to make things a bit easier for them to perform. I think their true pace is still really not that strong. But time will tell as to whether they can continue to make improvements going into the end of the year or whether they'll focus in on 2022. I think what's clear is that George is still outperforming that car. Latifi didn't get anywhere near the performance that George managed to um, at, at the Belgian Grand Prix in, in qualifying. So they they are getting more points and that's great and it's good to see them going in the right direction i still don't think that they're actually that quick um toto and lawrence controversy so i think this is with respect to the insider trading uh accusations leveled at toto wolf and i think lawrence stroll 
Um, Toto, who bought shares, which amounted to being worth, I think, 36 million uh, US dollars in Aston Martin, just before Mercedes did. Um, and there's sort of accusations of potential insider trading there. They've been cleared of it, is the thick and thin. So I think that's kind of a non-story just now. But it was interesting um, because, you know, there's, there's clearly this, this relationship outside of Formula One as well, where Mercedes more recently has been basically supplying all of the insides to Aston Martin cars, uh, the 4.4 litre V8 turbocharged engines, which can only really be a good thing, given how wrong Aston Martin cars used to go sometimes. Um, it will be interesting to see to see if anything ever came from that. But certainly going forward, what Lawrence Stroll will do with that company, I know the new CEO of um, Aston Martin was the former head of AMG. So that will be interesting to see where we go from there. Thanks for tuning in to the first episode of the AAF1 podcast. We will be back next time uh, on the weekend uh, with a review of the Dutch Grand Prix and with much better microphones and audio recording equipment. Thanks for putting up with this so far. Um, we just wanted to get something out to you guys. And um, also thanks for submitting your questions. There's a couple that we didn't get around to, which we will address uh, on the next podcast. Cheers. See you then. All right, then. Welcome to the Dutch Grand Prix race review with AAF1. It's just me as today. We're going to run through the race weekend and answer a few of your questions. Um, thanks for all of your feedback on episode one. It really meant a lot that we posted that episode out and you guys actually took time to listen, um, which frankly I wasn't expecting. So that, that was great for both me and Kay. And now we're back in reviewing, I think what we can all agree was a bit of a procession. But Anyway, we made a commitment to go through it, so let's go through it. And I think there's some interesting takeaways from the weekend anyway. So let's start with practice and qualifying, and then we can sort of work in reverse order up the uh, table uh, in terms of the finished results. So with respect to practice, very quickly, it seemed as though everything was getting quite disrupted on Friday. And of course, we had red flags in each session, which was not helpful. Um, and I think that that really slowed things down. What was clear from quite early on was that Red Bull had an awful lot of pace. They brought upgrades in at Spa last week and we didn't get to see the full extent of those upgrades and their impact on performance. However, we did see some of that today and again um, in qualifying yesterday. So they were looking strong in practice. Lewis Hamilton, of course, was the big story in practice too, whereas Finishing you know, top of the timesheets in practice one, it was looking good for him. He had to stop in practice two. And I think that was because he was running a practice engine. So basically the one with the most mileage. So they really didn't want to see that blow up. And he didn't have the same reliability issues through the rest of the weekend, which I think somewhat shows that he was A-OK otherwise. That disrupted his running. Certainly in terms of race pace and, and understanding tyre strategies which we'll come on to later with Mercedes because I don't really think they made the best call and then we had pit practice three where he managed to make up some of that and we were thinking seeing you know there was a lot of interesting runners in in, in practice the Ferraris looks particularly strong and I think this was a, a circuit which really wasn't to do with power so much it was quite a tight um, fiddly circuit a dry, real driver circuit and they were performing quite strongly out there so heading into qualifying we saw some surprises, frankly, and I think a lot of that is really down to the fact that it's a very short circuit. 
And if you didn't time your exit and outlap perfectly ahead of your flying run, then you were going to run into some issues. So in terms of early exits from qualifying, well, there were some surprises. Vettel, I think, and Perez were the big ones in Q1. They didn't make it out. And that was a huge, huge surprise. We saw at the end of Q1, Vettel very nearly coming into the back of a Haas as well. So that was not ideal. And then we saw Perez as well go out. And you might have thought that the teams would learn their lesson. But then in Q2, a shock exit was Norris, who has now really had two qualifying sessions to forget after Spa and Sanford, which is quite tricky because... He was doing so well in Belgium in qualifying before his crash. Uh, but when you compare it to this weekend, he, he simply wasn't at the races. And um, I think that was largely to do with the timing, getting out in time and getting a clear lap. Q3 is really when things heated up. Verstappen really set the timing boards alight right away with that one um, 108.8 uh, going towards the end of Q3. And... It looked as though Bottas was going to be taking second, but Hamilton, despite being slower in the first two sectors, went purple in the final sector of his final lap in qualifying, and he was only 0.038 seconds behind Verstappen. The big surprise for me of qualifying, and in a really good way, was Pierre Gasly. We're really big fans of Pierre Gasly at AAF1. We think he's been great, and you know he, he really showed that. And so did Giovinazzi, who, frankly... I. I haven't paid much attention to this season. I don't really think he has been worth paying attention to so much. But he popped the car in seventh, and you have to give him credit for that. Certainly ahead of someone like Ricardo, who, frankly, um, was 1.28 seconds off Verstappen's pace, which you, you'd you like to think is not McLaren's true running pace, but either way, he's had, he's had another weekend to forget. And that was pretty much the story of Q3. Now... Let's go into the race and work in reverse order, where we can take some more time and slow down. Starting off then, right at the bottom with Mazepin and Sonoda. So what happened with Mazepin and Sonoda, who were both DNFs? Well, first of all, we had Mazepin, who I think really had a weekend to forget. First of all, he almost had this fracas with Mick Schumacher in qualifying and you know both of those has cars really very nearly causing a huge accident with Seb Vettel but then right at the beginning of the race you saw Mazepin nearly run Mick Schumacher into the pit wall as such and and they made contact crunched off Michael Schumacher's uh sorry Michael Mick Schumacher's front wing and he ended up pitting back out into 18th mid midway through the race he finished three laps down on Verstappen, Mick Schumacher, but to be fair, it's a has. He was never going to be that much further up the field. But Mazepin himself, he lost hydraulic pressure and had to pit and then retire out of the race. So he, he really had a weekend to forget. Mazepin, we know, is not the strongest driver. We hope he's got some results in him. We, I mean, we know, yes, of course, he's a paid driver. His dad pretty much owns the team, but it would be nice to see him get some results. It's nice to see a competitive grid. Next up above him is Yuki Tsunoda, who I think it's safe to say has had a really erratic season so far. He's not really been that consistent. And maybe that's what your rookie season is for. But yeah, I have to say he was setting everything alight in Bahrain. And if you look at 
where he is now compared to Bahrain. He's not had the best of seasons, even by rookie standards, particularly when you compare that Gasly, which we'll get on to later on, who finished so much further up the field in the other Alpha Tauri. Sonoda had to retire, I think it was on lap 58, but he, he lost power early on and then he just had a DNF. So, yeah, again, we can, we can move on from that. We've touched on Schumacher, who finished in 18th. Russell, really unfortunate. He was running a great race in 11th, I think it was, and he was penalised for speeding in the pit lane, which is a driver error. And I think this is becoming a, a bit of a concern with George Russell. We know he's young, we know he's still inexperienced, but there's a few errors that he simply has to get out of his way and, and you know remove these unforced errors when he's pushing the car and pushing himself. Because to compete with a Hamilton, which it's likely he will be doing, to compete with Verstappen, you really have to be flawless week after week. And George had a crash in quali, pushing that Williams too far. Um, so he, he kind of clipped the inside curb going into a right-hander towards the end of the lap. And it was very slippery. He managed to keep the car out of the barriers somehow, despite his uh, rear tyre. I think it's his rear left taking quite a big punt. And I think there was some suspension damage there as well, which meant he couldn't go back out in Q2 once it was red, once it was red flags. But George has got to remove those errors, I think. Otherwise, he was doing great, and then he had to serve that five-second time penalty. He also had a gearbox issue as well, which the team couldn't look at until his time penalty was served. So he had a bit of a race to forget. Latifi finished ahead of Russell again somehow, but yeah, he, he had a... He, had a pretty quiet weekend. I think the Williams were always going to. Kubica, stand-in for Kimi Raikkonen, finished 15th. Not too bad. Um, we know he really unluckily lost his uh, Le Mans win on the final lap of the race recently. So to see him back in Formula 1 for a race is, is quite nice to see him there. Giovinazzi qualified brilliantly, as we mentioned, but finished 14th. Vettel really had a race to forget in 13th. I think both of the Aston Martins did, really. So he stopped early on lap 17, Vettel, to try something different on his strategy. And unfortunately, he rejoined the track in 17th behind Kubica. He then moved his way up, I think, to P14. And this is in between having quite a dramatic spin, uh, or almost spin, which Bottas had to avoid and lock and locked up in doing so. And then um, Vettel stopped again before finishing behind Stroll. So not really much to be said there. Stroll finished in 12th. Again, just not really much to be said. Pretty quiet weekend. And then we get to Daniel Ricciardo, who finished a lap down. And he finished in 11th, just outside the points. McLaren really had a difficult weekend. They only got one point and they've lost P3 in the Constructors' Championships. So qualifying was poor, as we touched on. Norris didn't even make it out of Q2. And then when you add to that, Dan, Danny Rick was 1.28 seconds down in Q3 when he finished 10th. So, you know, that's, that's quite a fall from grace. When you look at the race result itself, Ricardo really just wasn't at the races. There was a point at which he let Norris through and was told very bluntly on the team radio that his job was to hold up Sergio Perez, who I think at the time was on fresh, soft tyres. He didn't really manage to do 
do that for that long. But yeah, Danny Rick really is struggling to settle into that McLaren and it's quite difficult to watch um, just because it's frustrating. We know how quick he is. We know he was putting out some great results in that Renault and he just has to start putting things together, putting laps together. Um, it's, it's, it's tricky and I, I think there's a question to be asked where when you've got someone like Pierre Gasly who's performing so well week in, week out, if you were McLaren making a long-term bet, do you stick with Ricardo? Do you take Gasly? It's a difficult one for us to answer, but maybe as the season goes on, maybe that answer becomes a bit clearer. Now, we move up into the points. Lando Norris had a qualifying to forget, but he managed to salvage a point. Pretty quiet race from Norris. Not much to be said. Um, important thing is he once again outperformed his teammate. And McLaren can sort of go to Monza next week, licking their wounds, and try to get a better race result there. Ocon finished ninth, one lap down. Ocon had quite a feisty start. I think he was saying when he was sat behind Alonso early on in the race that, look, Alonso's quite slow, let me through. And um, I think it, it turned out that that wasn't the case. Alonso held him off pretty competently. And then it was pretty quiet for Ocon from there. I think... He's got a lot of um, credit off the back of his win in Hungary. And, you know, it's really difficult to replicate those heights when you just simply don't have that power differential. Um, uh, you know, you don't have that delta in performance like the Red Bull does to the rest of the grid. And like Mercedes does, especially when Hamilton's, is, Hamilton's behind the wheel. Ocon probably finished where Alpine should have been. But Alonso will always get a tiny bit more performance out of that car than Ocon can. I think we've made it pretty clear that we, we're not we're not bowled over by Ocon, but good for him getting in the points. Sergio Perez salvaged an eighth position. I think he also took the driver of the day vote. I think it was 27% of the vote. Really, we're not sure why. I'm not sure why. I think Perez did well to recover and get into the points. Is it the most impressive drive I've ever seen? Definitely not. Yes. Sanford is a difficult track to overtake at, but he, you know, he had such a fast car that he really should have ended up in the points and got a serious haul. So eighth is pretty much, I think he, he met expectations. I don't think he exceeded. Science, tricky race, but that Ferrari really put itself into places where we weren't expecting it to be. So he did well. I think Science is a bit he's he's not as quick as Leclerc is he a couple of places up but he's doing his level old best now Alonso finished sixth who had I think we'll post it on our page when we can an outrageous start to the Grand Prix weaving all over the place George Russell had to hit the brakes very hard coming out of the first corner I think in order to avoid Alonso who moved very swiftly from the outside uh, of turn one, I think, to the outside of turn two. So, yeah, Alonso had a great race, finished sixth. There's not really much more to be said. Leclerc, fifth. Again, one lap down, but who isn't when Verstappen is that quick? Yeah, Leclerc drove brilliantly. He keeps getting results out of this Ferrari, and he's so consistent. He's so, so consistent in that car. I think he's really justifying why, even if he doesn't stay at Ferrari long term, he deserves to be in a top team. He's outperformed that car consistently for the past couple of years. And 
yeah, I think he got a solid result. Now, Gasly. Gasly is, for me, my driver of the day. Why? Well, first of all, he drove a stellar lap in qualifying to finish, okay, six tenths down of Verstappen, but in an Alpha Tauri, which on pace probably shouldn't have been there. So he did an outrageous job to get there. And not only that, but he held his position throughout the race. Gasly really performed strongly throughout the whole race and to finish in fourth really showed that he was on it the whole weekend. And that can only be a good thing heading into Monza where we know he picked up his maiden victory last year. So Pierre has been performing strongly throughout the season, we feel. And again, he picked up a, a, an outrageous result today, really. And really happy for Pierre. It's interesting to see where he goes. I know there's been a couple of uh, questions that have come in before and we discussed it on the last podcast. I would prefer to see Pierre outside of the Red Bull setup. I don't want him in that Red Bull main team if I'm looking at his career prospects long term. I think it's uh, there's a power vacuum there which is geared towards Max Verstappen and I think rightly so. Max is a faultless driver. He's a generational driver for Red Bull and I think if you are going there and you're, you, you're not Max, you're going to be the second driver. And Pierre hasn't reacted so well to that in the past. He's, of course, a more complete driver now. But, you know, I, I still don't think he needs to go there if he can avoid it. That brings me back to, well, where does he go? Interestingly, it seems as though there aren't too many places for him to go. I can see him at McLaren, but he could end up, unfortunately, becoming one of those drivers where if he doesn't find a top team soon, he could become a, fog a forgotten man. So it's an interesting time for Pierre, who is still very young, we shouldn't forget. Next, 